0: You look beautiful this morning. Uh, Right now it's 1 a.m. Arizona time, and uh, so I'll do my best to stay awake if you promise to listen closely. So uh, it's a privilege to be here. You have an awesome pastor. He's a great guy. I have uh, just spent just a few hours with him and already am so uh, deeply moved by the reality of his own passion and desire to see God glorified through his life. And uh, you guys are awesome love the worship I uh, loved our good friend Prince with a big smile that greeted us as we came through the door I said purple rain he said yes So uh, and uh, Vernon who led us on upstairs and uh, I think it was Brent who went ahead and helped us out as well you guys are amazing you're doing a great thing you're doing a great work there's a great God who's on your side and he has great plans for you Amen. none of you would say to your kids, I just want you to get by in life, you know. I just want you to have just enough. I don't want you to do anything exceptional or awesome or anything. I just want you to exist. There's not a parent here who has that or cherishes that in their heart. And the same with our God. He doesn't want you to just get by. He doesn't want you just to exist. In fact, everything about Him is all about doing something powerful in our lives, Uh, If you saw your child under deep sickness or struggling or having a trial, your heart's desire would be, I want to take that and not have you carry it. I don't want to see you suffer with that. I want to take it on myself. We have a God who did that, who took our suffering, who took our sin, who took our shame, who bore it in himself so that he could release us and bring us to complete and absolute freedom in him. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Well, I want to minister to you this morning. That's a picture of my wife and my two boys. We have a whole bunch of kids we've adopted over the years. Uh, And uh, at one point we had seven boys in our house. So you can imagine my wife having to put up with all of that in addition to me, of course. And uh, so uh, we we, we just had a great time. We just recently moved out of our two-story home because I fell down the stairs uh, I was unhurt. The stairs did not get off as easily, however, and uh, so uh, we've moved to a different place, and uh, at least now the kids can chase me around and try to kill me, of course, they're really big. Uh, they're both 6'4". The uh, top one up there is Kirk and Drew. Of course, facial hair is really in right now, uh, and uh, so it's uh, it's a scary, hairy morning every Sunday. Uh, when we come to church, so hallelujah. I want to minister to you this morning on the topic of get ready for revival. Get ready for revival. Here's what I want to quickly say. People say, well, we're not supposed to die. I agree, but your first love goes before the light goes out. Long before the lights are gone out, first love is gone. And when first love is gone, we do by rote, we do by ritual, we do by religion, what we should have done by relationship, relationship and we never actually get to live the kind of life that God wants for us. I know that Christianity can be the most miserable experience in the entire world if the motivation of it has simply become me trying to live up to a standard rather than responding to the immensity of a love that has been revealed in my heart and given towards me. And so I want you to experience the freedom of it. Uh, the uh, great American humorist, Mark Twain, actually original name Samuel Clemens, said these words. He said, when you get to heaven, leave your dog outside. Because heaven operates under a different grace. If it were not so, your dog would go in and you would stay outside. So this morning, I want to minister to you on the reality of the goodness of God and the grace of God in keeping us alive and take some practical steps for you uh, so that you'll be available for God's purposes amen practical steps let me just say your greatest ability is your availability it doesn't matter how gifted you are if you're unavailable and I'm a pastor I see a lot of people who show up in church and they got a big sign on their forehead that says unavailable don't want to get involved don't want to help don't want to do anything Because I've been hurt, I've been burned, and I don't really trust people. If that's your testimony, just want to say you're not unique. You may think you're alone, but the reality of it is God has something amazing for you to do. Amen? Not for His benefit, because God can live without what we do. But the world cannot live without what we do. We're not doing it for the benefit of God, but we're certainly doing it for the benefit of people. There are people whose lives will not be touched. There are people who will not be saved. There will people who will never experience the joy and the blessing of God if the church is not fully alive in the reality of the love of God and in the joy of Jesus Christ. We need to kindle that anew and afresh. So I just want to share a few verses with you that will hopefully be able to communicate something of the goodness and the passion of God. So we'll start in the book of Isaiah. And we'll have a look right now at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 2. Hallelujah. All awake still? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. You know, I always know that as a preacher, my job is twofold. To comfort the afflicted and, of course, to afflict the comforted. So that we don't have people that just reach the stage of comfort of this kind of death. Spiritually, just inert. How I many know oh God doesn't want you to be inert? Amen. Uh, we, it's no good us singing about our potential. We ought to tap into it occasionally and enjoy it. Amen. Comfort, comfort. Why does God say it twice? So that we don't miss it. Because if, if He said it only once, we probably wouldn't have heard it. That's why when God calls us, he, he, throughout the Bible, there's always the Samuel, Samuel, Saul, Saul because the men are harder of hearing. In the Old Testament, when a word is repeated, it means it becomes the best of it, like the holy of holies, the song of songs. And so if we apply that principle here in interpreting the Scripture, the comfort, comfort is the comfort of all comforts, the encouragement of all encouragements. And God, after going through the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, gives the instructions about what's going to happen to various places, and it's kind of dire. It has an earnestness and a seriousness to it, and then somehow in chapter 40, it completely changes. And for those of you who have already known about it, the book of Isaiah is 66 books, which is the sum total of the Old and New Testaments together and 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. So after 39 chapters, we start the New Testament and it says, comfort, comfort my people. Not condemn, condemn, comfort, comfort. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended. Church, can I just say to you this morning, if you're still fighting, you've already lost. Because victory does not come from fighting. Victory comes from recognizing that you're already more than a conqueror through Him that loved you, that you have already won. He said this, you have already overcome the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith. Even your faith. That is the very victory that you have. The last soldier to surrender in World War II did so uh, late in 1975. He was a Japanese soldier and who had fought on for more than 20 years after the end of the war because he thought it was not yet over. Can you imagine his great surprise when he returned home to Japan to find that the war had already been ended for more than 20 years? That guy probably was like some of you, still fighting even though it's long gone over, still hiding, still enduring, Still going through a lot of different things without knowing the reality of what God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. We are not fighting towards victory, we're fighting from victory. We're not heading towards freedom. We, we begin with freedom and we begin to live out of it. And he said, Call to her, her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed. How many know it's been taken away from you? You don't have it anymore. It's not part of your life. And that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. This is such a powerful thing because receiving double for all of her sins would mean that she has been punished so fully and thoroughly there can be no prerequisite for any additional punishment to come. And the very essence of evangelicalism is for us to understand that all of God's justice and punishment and anger against sin has been exhausted in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God is not retaining some element of requirement that is going to require of us that we need to pay for that He has not already punished His Son in our place for so that we can go free. God's relationship with us is not founded upon an unsatisfied punishment for sin. It is is predicated upon a fully satisfied punishment that has already happened. We're not waiting to see if we make it. We're not waiting to see if God is going to find fault with us. God's not up in heaven listing your sins against you. He's not counting your trespasses against you. He's not making a case against you. He made a case for you. He established you. He went ahead and He declared His intention for us. Hallelujah. You and I can never have confidence or faith until we know that all judgment is over. And thank God you can have confidence and faith. Amen. He who believes in Him has passed out of death into life and no longer comes into judgment because He has passed out of death into life, the Gospel of John tells us. The next thing... So what I want to say to you, church, is let's get the message right. Let's get what God's heart is for us, and let's hold on to it passionately. Amen? The second thing is you've got to get a new vision of yourself. I don't know what it is that you encounter when you think about yourself or when you consider yourself, but you've got to get a new vision. And so God speaks to the nation in Isaiah 41. He says, for I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. God's not calling them a worm because that's his assessment of who they are. He's calling them a worm because that's who they think they are. They are the dejected, despised, and the undervalued concerning the rest of the world. And he says, don't be fear. Do not fear you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I'll help you. Second time he says, I'll help you. Why does God say it so many times? Because we don't understand God wants to help us because we're so independent. I remember with my kids, when they would be playing with the scissors, and as a careful dad, I would say, no, I've got to get those scissors away from you. Give me them. And they would say to me, uh, you know, they were mine. They'd hold on to them. I said, listen, let me show you. And then my son, I show you. I said, this is going to get dangerous here. Sometimes we just fier- fiercely try to hold on to things. And we think we are helping God. God wants to help us. And let's face it, looking at some of you, you need a lot of help. I'm glad I can get away with it here. You see, that's South African humor in America it does not go down well. You need a lot of help. Your face needs a lot of help on Monday morning. Amen. You need some assistance, right? (laughs) Hallelujah. Do not fear you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I'll help you, declares the Lord your God, and your Redeemer is the Holy One. Behold, I have made you a new sharp threshing sledge with double edges. You will thresh the mountains and pulverize them and you will make the hills chat. That's not bad for a worm, wouldn't you say? He's just addressed them. He says, listen, I'm helping you, and my helping you is to transform you. When I help you, I'm going to help you in such a way that the mountains are not going to be a problem for you. When I help you, the hills are not going to be a geographical resistance or maintain the difficulty of you traveling anymore. You're going to get to your destination faster than you ever thought was possible. There are things that are in your way that are no longer going to be in your way because you're not a worm, you're a threshing sledge. I'm helping you. I'm not helping you to remain helpless. I'm helping you so that you are the helped. You are those who have received divine, supernatural, heavenly assistance from an all-powerful God who merely spoke and it was done. And He has declared the same truth over your life so that He has declared, I will help you. And He's not in the habit of lying. He's not in the habit of just saying things for the sake of saying them. For Him to say it means it's as good as it's done. As he said it, it is done in your life. Hallelujah. And then he tells them the next thing to them. He says, I want you to go ahead and return. Come on back. We need a revival of one before we'll have a revival of millions. Until you're revived, you can't help with being part of the revival. Amen. If you are living a a percentage, the days of percentage Christianity should be over. It shouldn't be a 60, 70, 80, 90 percent committed rate. We should be 100 percent all the way in, solid gone for God. Hallelujah! And Isaiah 44 22 23 says, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Come on home, don't stay off in the distance, don't stay there complaining about. How bad it is. Come home to the one who loves you. And then he says in verse 23 Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forests, and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel he shows forth his glory. You see, the essence of repentance is. Not spending all of your days crying about what wasn't okay. It's coming and enjoying what is already provided. The essence of repentance is not staring after being starving for all of your life. Staring at a big table full of food. And as you stand there, you begin to cry about all the years you didn't have anything to eat. That is an inappropriate response to a feast. Amen. In fact, if you insist on just standing there and crying, I'd say, listen, the problem isn't that you don't have food. The problem is you're a little bit sick between the ears. Right? Because when somebody invites you to a banquet, you go ahead and you eat. Amen? And you bring an appetite with you. If you don't bring anything else, bring your appetite. Shout for joy. God has done it. Coming home. Amen? Amen? And we understand that Jesus Christ is now Lord in our life. Your past is no longer the Lord of your life. Your failure is no longer the Lord in your life. Your sin is no longer the Lord in your life. The things that went wrong, the things you didn't have, your lack is no longer Lord in your life. Jesus Christ is Lord. The early church had that as their clarion call. Jesus Christ is Lord. That means I'm not controlled by anything anymore other than Jesus Christ. Nothing else runs my emotions. Nothing runs my expectations. Nothing else determines my hopefulness for the future. Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm not tormented by something else because He's in charge. Hallelujah. He's the death of every other suitor, He is the end of every other thing that held claim. He is the end point of what used to be, He is the starting point of what will forever be. Hallelujah. He's my everything. I know when we we start looking at these things, the essence of this whole repentance thing is to understand that it's already finished. The cross does not save you. It kills you. It kills everything about you. It kills off everything that used to be. I'm so glad that we're not dragging what was with us. There is a heavenly scalpel that has forever severed us from our past from whatever claims it may have had, or from whatever ongoing influence that we live in the freedom and the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Get a good grip on that. Come home to that. You don't want to stay off in the far country. You know, the the prodigal son did not repent because he felt like he was going to hell. He sat there and looked at his situation. He said, you know, even the slaves have better food than this, and are better treated than this in my father's house. And when he remembered the goodness of God, the kindness of God, he said, I will get up. I will go back home. I'll tell him I'm not worthy of it. I'll tell him he shouldn't take me in as anything special. I should just be a servant. And while he's still a long way off, God sees him and runs out to him and greets him and brings him home doesn't listen to a single silly thing that he's rehearsed. He just goes and restores him. Time to return. The next thing I want to say is become a disciple. Become a disciple. The root word of a disciple is to be disciplined. And discipline means that you're going to have to take hold of your thought life. Amen? You're going to have to take hold of your thought life. We can discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness or we can discipline ourselves for the purpose of ungodliness. You can teach yourself to take control of things or you can teach yourself to keep on giving up control over stuff. Isaiah 50 verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with the word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Church, can I just tell you that disciples are not spectators. The disciples of Jesus didn't watch the miracles. They participated in them. The crowd got to see what was going on. The disciples got to do it. And when you're going to be a disciple, you move from being a spectator to being a participant in what's happening. God wants you to see the supernatural happen through your hands. When Jesus fed the 5,000, the miracle passed through the hands of disciples. The recipients were the crowd, and they enjoyed the benefit, but the people who saw the effect of it were the ones that were passing it along through their hands. Be what that is for what God has in mind for us. Amen? Time for one more. Let's go for it. Next thing I want to say to you is look to your roots. Look to your roots. Now, you're probably going to look at some other roots here, but let me just give you the roots here. Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 2. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Anybody here that qualifies under that call? Are you pursuing righteousness? Do you seek the Lord? Here's what he says, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. You know, Israel is not in a good place at this point. They have resisted God Uh, for more than 500 years. The history of their life has been that they have constantly gone against God. The nation has suffered. They've experienced great difficulties, and now they're going off into final captivity, and they're just down to a handful of people compared to what they used to be. And when they consider everything, they think, wow, we, we don't really have a future because we're so small in number. We used to be numerous. We used to have everything. We used to see everything happening. And now we've been reduced to it. He said, God's saying, Listen, I want to tell you how you started. Could I tell you again how you started? You did not start with millions. You started with one man and one woman who were incapable of having a single child. In other words, you started from a place of impossibility. And God intervened in the impossibility, and out of the impossibility, God created all of the abundant fruitfulness that you are bearing in mind considering your personal history of what used to be. And now you're considering saying, well, can God do it again? Of course He can. You know, we're living in an age that they tell us is the post-Christian or post-modern era, particularly in the United States, where people who show up at church one Sunday out of every month believe that they are regular attenders. Because they have a culture of church that is not biblical. We need a revelation of church, not just a culture of church. And a revelation means getting God's idea on what's supposed to be happening and not the rest of the country's idea. There's too much of the world in the church for us to be able to get the world impacted and changed. We're going to have to be different. Your weirdness is going to have to increase. Amen? Now, if you're afraid of being weird, I just want you to know weird is how it all started. It looked like they were drunk at 9 a.m. in the morning. That's weirdness for you, right? Right? And the crazy thing is that already there'd been a fall off. 500 people had seen Jesus ascending to heaven and only 120 waited out in the upper room. You wonder what, what, what happened to the other 380. I know some people say, well, God knows my address. He knows where to find me. Really? You think God's going to come specially to your home to come and get you? The 380 who went in the upper room, they had to pick it up second hand. The reality was the people that were there, they got it first. Amen. So you can't just sit back on your blessed assurance and say, well, it's going to happen to me no matter what. If it's really the will of God, it's going to happen to me. It really is the will of God, but it's not automatic. You're going to have to get involved and you're going to have to participate. Amen. I mean, when God made promises to Abraham and to Sarah, the reality was that He wasn't telling them that they were going to have kids without their involvement in the matter. What He was telling them was that their involvement in the matter had not produced up until that point, but He was going to supernaturally change that and that they will actually be part of that. He said, when when He was but one, I called Him, and then I blessed Him and I multiplied Him. As long as there's one person That's willing to do what God wanted him to do. God can do it all over again. Amen? He's able to do it. And then finally, Isaiah 52, verses 1 through 2. It says, awake. Awake. God doesn't want you to sleep any longer. Your season of being dormant is over. I always feel like the church is sort of like a a sleeper cell, a terrorist cell that hasn't been activated. Now, terrorists obviously want to do it for the, the, be, the betterment of their idea and to harm people. We're not doing it for harming anybody. We're doing it for helping people. Amen? But we've been like a dormant seed in the midst, and God's saying to us, awake. I know people tell me, all that, well, God will give us a revival when He's good and ready for it. You know the difference with that that attitude that says, well, God does it sovereignly. I got news for you. God does it when people are ready. And most people are not ready. Or maybe we're ready for a lot of other things, but we're not ready for God to do anything with us. He tells them to awake, awake. Clothe yourself in your strength. You're going to have to put on the armor of what God has given you. Because it inspires confidence and it gives you dignity and it lets you know you're not naked. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the, circumc- the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem, loose yourself. I just want you to look quickly. There's a repetition of for yourselves there, which means yourself plays a role. Amen? If God's going to do it in my life, you know, God spoke a word over me and I know it's just going to happen because He said it. You will wait forever. If you believe God spoke it, start doing something. I mean, I don't know what it is. If you can play just, if all you can play is a kazoo, start playing your kazoo. Do something. Amen? Well, somebody said, well, what if it's not the right thing? You'll find out it's not the right thing while you're doing it. Amen? And, and say, so, well, okay, but, but what if I can't do it really well? L- let me tell you, the people who could do it really well are not available. God will use the substandard people to do it then. He'll help them. Amen? But what if I feel like a worm? It's okay. He makes you a new threshing sledge. You can hammer mountains into shreds. Hallelujah. You're not going to be limited by that. He says, awake. He said, clothe yourself. He tells them to shake yourself, loose yourself. That's what he's saying to them. Clothe yourself, he tells them twice. Don't be naked. Clothing yourself means become consciously endowed with what God has given to you. In other words, let your mind wake up to the reality of what it is that you already possess. Amen? If your mind is, is so cultivated into observing and believing and, 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 and receiving lack concerning yourself, it's time to change that. There is no lack where God is. You may not have what you think you need, but you've got everything that He believes you need at that moment. Amen? And you can go ahead and rise up so i want you to say your season of dormancy is over you're going to go on the holy spirit's our coach this is the holy spirit speaking what is he saying he's saying get up don't quit now you can do this you've got it i'm on your side i'm bigger than this you are bigger than this it won't overwhelm you you're going to overwhelm it it won't stop you. You're going to go straight through it. Keep going. Don't let up. Go on. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Many times people tell me, well, I believe the Holy Spirit's saying, well, I don't like that in your life. Yeah, but when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in your life and says, he said, listen, this is going to stop what we want to do down the road. This is a limitation to my intention for your life. You need to leave that alone, Mike. You need to move on from that. You need to delete that from your life. You need to go in the place that I... Because what I have in mind for you is so great, so awesome, and so wonderful. This thing will only slow you down, stop you, and complicate the whole maneuver. Would you let it go so that I can show you the greatness and the goodness of what I have? God's not trying to wrestle sin out of your mouth and out of your life, because he wants to rob you of your joy, he wants you to fulfill your purpose. There's no greater joy than doing that. Shake yourself from the dust. Jesus said, the reason why we shake ourselves from the dust is to disavow any connection with what used to be. to disavow any connection with the stuff that you picked up along the journey. You're carrying dust? Are we carrying something along us that shouldn't be there? Shake it off. Shake it off. It's not actually part of your life. It may be on you, but it's not in you. It may have tried to surround you, but it couldn't penetrate you. And it's not part of your permanent journey. You can let it go. You can say goodbye to it. You can bid it farewell. He said, we traveled a long distance, but you are not going to keep coming along with me. You're not going to hitch a free ride into my future. You are going to be brushed aside. I will carry you no more. Amen? There's plenty more I want to share with you, but our time has come to an end here. What I want to say to you, can we just take a moment to bow our heads for a second here?